Mary Richards, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be here with you, Lizzie Lassiter. Somatic self-care podcast. Today we're talking about, again, The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Chapter five is called Body-Brain Connections, which I'm already in as a yoga person. (laughs) Yes. Interestingly, Charles Darwin of the theory of evolution wrote a book about body-brain connections that uh, Bessel writes, we're still exploring today. Intense emotions involve not only the mind, but also the gut and the heart, which is a, a, you know, idea that feels new with polyvagal theory, which we'll get into today but apparently is actually quite an old idea. Yes, very old. And, uh, you know, we were jaw jacking a little bit before we started recording. And I was saying that, you know, these ideas of uh, the brain body connection go back to, you know, 50 BCE before the current era, era, uh, to a Greek anonymous Vesalius, uh, you know, diaphragm means the mind, seat of the mind, seat of consciousness, the word diaphragm. So thousands of years ago, early body explorers were identifying these connections. Yes. And what I'm struck by reading this book is the bi-directionality. So the moving in both directions, nature of this communication, I guess I kind of had the idea that, of course, my brain communicates with my body to tell my heart rate or, you know, to, to, to tell my body to start sweating when I go into the sauna or something. But I didn't really have so clearly how much my body is communicating with my brain. Yes, you know, the vagus nerve, which is so integrally related to our perception of safety and our social engagement and our autonomic nervous system physiology, the vagus nerve, 80% of its fibers are sensory in nature. 20 percent of its fibers are motor in nature and those motor neurons of the vagus are related to facial expression uh throat constriction you know vocalization etc swallowing so those motor fibers of the vagus are tied to nonverbal and verbal communication, but 80% of them are connected to our viscera and, you know, our, our organs, our internal organs and skin and the like, and they're relaying information from the body to the brain. Dr. Vanderkolk writes, until recently, this bi-directional communication between body and mind was largely ignored by Western science, even as it had long been central to traditional healing practices in many other parts of the world, notably India and China. Today, 
it is transforming our understanding of trauma and recovery. Yeah, so let's move now perhaps to polyvagal theory, which I've heard of for years, but honestly, I was quite intimidated by um, because it seemed so complicated. Do you want to give us a, a a simple outline or begin by, can we can we start sort of broad and then move more narrow? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, let's take a moment to just uh, celebrate the vagus nerve. Vegas, it, uh, you know, comes from the Greek word for vagabond or wanderer. You know, vagus nerve is, uh, there are a pair of them, the right and the left, and it goes from our brain stem. It's considered a cranial nerve, number 10, and it is uh, intimately and anatomically related to uh our homeostatic functions, our respiratory rate, our arterial tension and pressure, you know, blood pressure, etc. And so the vagus nerve is uh, related uh, to our autopilot functioning the autonomic nervous system, which most of us are familiar, the ANS has two branches, okay? It has the sympathetic nervous system of arousal and the parasympathetic nervous system of quietude, okay? So we're talking accelerators and brakes. And it basically, what's most important for us to remember, I think, is that we basically have three physiologic states of nervous system imminence, okay? Uh, and what I mean by nervous system imminence is there's the, you know, the fingers pressing down on, on one side or the other of the ANS. Now, ideally, we have a little bit more weight, if you will, on the parasympathetic side so that we can relax around other people, okay? But a lot of us, especially if we have a history of trauma, especially early childhood trauma, we will have, you know, fingers pressing on the sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system. Okay, but generally speaking, uh, we have, you know, these kind of three physiologic states. Okay, so we have the social engagement state, which is governed by the front facing vagal complex. So we're talking about our ability to communicate needs and wants and connect with others to receive help and support. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, and that's kind of our birthright state, if you will. Then we have the sympathetic nervous system activation, fight or flight. Our needs aren't being met. We're calling for help, we're signaling for help, and no help is coming, 
So we have to get away. We got to get ourselves out of the situation. So our, our nervous system mobilizes to speed up our heart rate, et cetera, increase blood flow to the large muscle systems of the body so that we can get up and go, et cetera. Then we have this dominance of, I don't want to call it dysfunctional because it has a function, but we have this dominance of the parasympathetic system. It's called the freeze response. And this is our dorsal vagal complex and it's related to our reptilian brain. Okay. So we're, we're, we're hearkening back, if you will, to uh, chapter four and this reptilian brain and this dorsal vagal complex, which is the oldest, these are the oldest um, fibers of our vagal nerves. We have no help coming and we're trapped for whatever reason, we cannot extricate ourselves from threat. So our systems collapse. And we play dead. Mm-hmm. And and that's basically polyvagal theory. <laughs> I'm going to read from the book. He writes, the polyvagal theory provided us with a more sophisticated understanding of the biology of safety and danger. One based on the subtle interplay between the visceral experiences of our own bodies and the voices and faces in people around us. And then he goes on to say, in short, Porges polyvagal theory makes us look beyond the effects of fight or flight and put social relationships front and center in our understanding of trauma. This struck me, you know, I remember after our, after a lockdown, having the experience post, you know, during the pandemic, but after it had been much tighter socially. And then when, when restrictions began to lift for us here in Austria, I remember having our first small dinner party, having a few friends around. And there was this sense at the dinner table that, um, nobody, first of all, nobody, I couldn't get anyone to leave. Like no one, no one would go home, um, at the end of the night. And I noticed the, charge the actual kind of energetic feeling the the energetic oomph that I got from spending a few hours unmasked laughing and talking and being with people because so many you know so many days and weeks without having that mm-hmm. so I think that was just an interesting antidote for me that reminded me of of exactly what this polyvagal theory is pointing to is 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 how important see what i understand him saying is that that our internal sensory experience is is sort of re, not just related but is integrally mirrored or linked to our social engagement system in terms of just literally talking and smiling and facial expressions. Can you talk a little bit about that connection? Oh yeah. Because, you know, our brains are built for living with people. We are not lone wolves and lone wolves are dysfunctional by nature and definition as well. Okay. We are mammals and mammals are pack animals. 
So our brains are actually anatomically structured to connect with others. We are culturally oriented. And Gorgeous really highlighted, you know, 1996 is when um, polyvagal theory really made it out into, you know, PubMed and, you know, the NIH database here in the States and, and things like that. And, um, you know, it, it was really the first sort of comprehensive look at how our pain and suffering, especially our emotional and mental suffering is typically a combination of our difficulties in creating, building, satisfying, reciprocal relationships and managing our arousal, regulating our arousal. Yeah, I love the word reciprocity that he uses and it, reminding myself of that or, or, or relearning that, that these social networks we have, it's not just having people around us, but it's doing things for them and having things done by them for us. Yes. You know, I had, I mean, it's, it was a small moment, but I had a moment at the grocery store today, this morning where I had, was doing a big Monday morning shop with a ton of, you know, a big, big basket. And the woman behind me, and it's never happened to me before. She just said, can I help you take all your things out of your cart and put them on the conveyor belt? You know, oh, can I help you? And I've been trying to call in more help in my life as a mom of two and a half year old twins, working mom. And I just, you know, my first instinct was to be like, oh no, no, it's fine. I got this. But then I just said, yes, thank you. And this stranger helped me unload my groceries onto the thing. And I actually interpreted it as a shocking, like this, the scale of the actual help was so minimal, but it felt to me like something big. Yeah, because your ventral vagal complex is online and, you know, we're wired for connected living and to to actually tend and befriend one of us, uh, you know, um, one of the quotes that Bessel van der Kolk uh, cites in this chapter in the book is by Jerome Kagan, who says, you know, to be benevolent rather than malevolent is probably a true feature of our species. And Dr. Keltner, who is uh, sort of a social psychologist, um, anthropology type at Stanford University, uh, he writes a lot about compassion and things like that in society. And he uh believes that we are actually organized, you know, to be kind and to help one another. And this is so hard to believe for so many of us, whether we have a personal history of trauma or we read the news. Yes. Which is the synonymous with uh, triggering our trauma. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so it's like you, especially when you read the news and I admit I am a voracious news consumer, uh, 
I always have been part of that was it's related to my former profession in national security. And um, it's so hard sometimes to believe that we actually are wired to take care of one another. But I think about these these incidents of, of small kindnesses, like what you described in your grocery shopping this morning. And it is these acts of small kindness that actually make the world go round. Mm. So Dr. Vanderkolk writes about, he, he makes this kind of distinction between top down and bottom up. So I'm going to read actually from the last page of this chapter five, but anything that gets even close to talking about yoga, I'm like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so polyvagal theory helped us understand and explain why all these disparate unconventional text techniques worked so well. It enabled us to become more conscious of combining top down approaches to activate social engagement with bottom up methods to calm the physical tensions in the body. We were more open. He means him and his, his uh, research team and, and clinical team were more open to the value of other age old non pharmacological. So non, non, not taking a pill, non pharmacological approaches to health that have long been practiced outside Western medicine, ranging from breath exercises like pranayama and chanting to martial arts like qigong and drumming and group singing and dancing. They all rely on interpersonal rhythms, visceral awareness, vocal and facial communications, which help shift people out of fight or flight states, reorganize their perceptions of danger and increase their capacity to manage relationships. I was like, wow, when I read that, because it, He's describing so many of the, I mean, I've practiced yoga as well for, for so many years. I was born into it. It seemed it, and it, I've always done it just intuitively like, well, days when I get on the mat or do some of these somatic self-care practices, they just kind of seem like better days. So now that I'm not a chaotic 20 year old, like it's easier for me to, as I approach 40, it's easier to me to just kind of be like, you know what? I should probably just do 20 minutes of yoga this morning. Cause like, it's going to be a better day. You know, like it's, it's very, yeah. it's, it's so simplistic in, in my, and, and, and I find the discipline has gotten easier as I've gotten older, um, that there's less resistance, but, but what I love about this paragraph that I just read is, is he's actually explaining from a science perspective, why these practices, the breathing practices, the chanting practices, even to some extent, I would say like, uh, practicing asana in a group class environment, moving in, in synchronicity with others, why this is so valuable to us. So what do you want to say about bottom up and top down that distinction, Mary? Well, so, you know, top down is top down. We're talking about meditation, mantra, japa practice, you know, mantra recitation, pranayama, because we are definitely, you know, taking a sort of directorial approach to these practices. Whereas, you know, asana, restorative yoga, these are more bottom up because we are using the body's movements and sensations as a way to access our lived experience. And it's very clear 
from the research, especially, you know, what through Porges' work with uh, polyvagal theory, that we need both. We must have a top-down, bottom-approach strategy for living because, you know, I say this all the time, any differentiation between the body and the brain, the body and the mind is artificial. It's an artificial contract construct that we have developed for our convenience. It is not based on reality. Mm. All right, Mary, anything to share before we close this chapter? I would just like to say that, you know, this can seem intimidating, you know, this stuff that we're talking about, especially if you have a history of trauma. But this isn't just about trauma. Body Keeps the Score is really about living a satisfying life and all of the tools. And I say this without an ounce of irony or cheekiness. All of the tools that we need to live in a state of santosha, of contentment, are within us, in our minds, in our brains, in our bodies, our guts. And the more fluent and comfortable we become with our felt sense of aliveness, the more connected and grounded and centered we're going to feel emotionally and mentally. Yeah, and and Dr. Vanderkolk writes about how being able to un to enjoy the very simple actions of our daily life, tending to our children in the most simple way, like dressing them and cooking food for ourselves, like even grocery shopping or or driving or just these very unremarkable repetitive moments throughout our day that being able to open ourselves up to that sensory experience and the small joys that they contain, that that is so important for thriving. And that when we have a history of trauma, as I believe basically almost all of us do, of course, to, to lesser and greater degrees, but that when we're in that triggered space from trauma, that it's almost like we block, he says, we, it's like we block out the ability to experience the sensory pleasures and small pleasures of everyday life so that it almost becomes like the color drains out of life because we're always in this threat mode. You know, we're always triggered. What's, what's, what's dangerous right now. If you think you're in danger, it's hard to relax and smell the roses. Exactly. You won't even see the roses. All you'll see are the thorns. Yeah. Oh, such a, such a beautiful way to end Mary remind everyone where we can find you online. You can find me at yoga with Mary Richards on, on the gram, the internet, the Facebooks. Yeah. We're here as your optimistic, enthusiastic cheerleading for simple ways that you can take better care of your sweet self. We do hope you'll consider sharing this podcast with all of your yoga friends and we believe in you. Thank you so much, Mary Richards. Thank you, Lizzie.